All right, all right. Here we are. We're back again for another rant. How you feeling? Feeling good, man. It's a little wet outside. It's today. a rainy day. It's, <laughs> it's really, really horrible. Really rainy day. Hopefully, everyone's got uh, weatherproofed house and basement is, is dry because that could be a problem for a lot of insurers this week. Um, well, last time it rained like this, didn't our toilet get flooded in yeah, our, our toilet, basement here our, at the office? We had, a, we had a, a, a client. I had a client meeting in the boardroom. And yeah, there was a massive flood in the basement. So and the water just came right through under the. It just came under out. the wall to your. Yeah, knees. it was clean. <laughs> it was it was clean water. It was clean water, so it was kind of nice, but it was pretty weird. I'm glad um, I wasn't here for that. That's what happens when you when you purchase a building, and you know the previous owners decide to put that hard brown paper down the toilet. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's why did they do paper. that? It makes no sense. Like I didn't even think we needed to put a sign up, but obviously, anyways, that's oh, that's completely move on. So, so, hey, investment property, that's a great segue into it. Let's do it, yeah. <laughs> the office is an investment property. <laughs> we talked about refinancing, how this time of the year, in September, in the fall, the banks come out with some really, really attractive pricing. You should be looking at your portfolio, how you can optimize your portfolio, possibly save some money, consolidate, set up a HELOC, these sort of things. And a lot, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but a lot of our clients are investors. What percentage of your business would you say is investors? Well, I, I think investors meaning like they're coming to you to buy a rental property. Yeah, I would say, or, and you know, about thirty percent of our clients are investors right yeah. now. We've got a huge you know. investor uh, uh, market and a lot of access to some pretty interesting stuff. And I think a lot of clients will come to us a little bit intimidated and say, "You know what? I met this guy who's who owns ten properties, and you know, he works with me. We make the same money. How do I do this? Like, what are the steps? Like, that sounds in my mind like completely unrealistic to get to, but it's it's actually pretty reasonable with a proper planning. It can be done yeah. if you want well, to. Well, so. I think I think at the end of the day, people got to focus on buying the first property. You know, things have changed a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. So you're going from zero to ten is going to be a lot more difficult today than it was five years ago, yeah. or even ten years ago, right? But um, yeah, you know. Refinancing your home, accessing all that equity. Canadians have so much equity t tied up in their houses. If all you do in your lifetime is take some money out, make a down payment on one investment property, yeah. and if that property can ca can cash flow in the sense that it, you know, breaks even at least, it services your expenses on the money that you took out of your line of credit. It services its own its own the new mortgage carrying costs of its uh, the property, and twenty years from now. You would have paid down both of those loans. You'll have two assets appreciating. And if real estate continues to repeat itself as it has in the last hundred years, that property will be worth at least double. Yeah. So just think about that and what the value that brings to you in as far as the net worth basis, retirement options, just that one investment property. Yeah. You know, adding a $500,000 or a million dollar property to your portfolio and knowing that you're going to double your net worth on that property. It's, it's kind of like a forced retirement savings. It's, it's exactly that. It's way. actually better than retirement savings because the average person, uh, when they retire, are looking at anywhere from between thirty dollars to $40,000 annual mm -hmm. retirement. Mm -hmm. And that's probably adjusted for inflation. Like, Assuming you, you, you have the luxury of having owned a home and paid it off in full when you decide to retire and you have a joint income, you're looking at sixty dollars to $70,000 of income. Oh yeah, um, which, and, or yeah. or you can liquidate it, and obviously there'll be a capital gain, but you, and you can move to a lower cost uh, uh, community. Like a lot of seniors are moving a little bit further southern Ontario, that, southern BC. That would be a bit of a challenge for some people, right? I mean, you've got to you know, plan for your retirement. I think most yeah. people 
are, are relying way too much on their employer's uh, pension plan, not putting enough money into their RSPs or thinking into that, that far ahead. And real estate is a simple solution. Like your example was one example that I use is like, let's start with a half a million dollar condo, let's say in Toronto, if you could find something that even cash flows or whatever, you're wherever to, market. You're gonna have to put 25% down, but still. Yeah, it doesn't even matter market. Let's say you use a half a million dollar purchase price. You take that money out of your the equity in mm -hmm. your home through a refinance, maybe HELOC, and you're right, in 20 to 25 years, if that half a million dollars should realistically double, and I think we're being pretty conservative there. And if you've mm -hmm. got a million dollar asset now, no mortgage, tenants are living there, and they're paying you whatever that market price could be at that time, a couple thousand dollars a month, you've created an amazing little passive income to subsidize your retirement income. Now, if you could duplicate that to meet your needs, so if you've decided I need $100,000 adjusted for inflation the rest of my life, maybe that means buying a couple rental properties, but... Oh, if, if, if time permits, right? You have to look at the total picture, but I think focusing on the first property and keeping those options open. I think a lot of people, some investors are so fixated in buying multiple properties, they don't think about the process. You buy your first investment property, you make sure you're, you're happy with this, make sure you're, you're, you're happy with being a landlord because not everybody wants to be a landlord. Yeah. And then once, you have a, once you've made that decision, then you can start looking at how you're gonna move forward. The one thing we have to keep in mind though, if you do have the goal to invest in the future, is to make sure we understand what your financing options are, not just for this acquisition, but for the next one. Because too many times people will do transactions and get into an investment property. Like we have a case right now where an individual bought a property, got into a really expensive renovation on this property, well over what he was expecting. I'm talking like 150,000 over budget. And now they're coming back to us and saying we need to restructure, but because the numbers are so far off, unfortunately this person can't refinance his money back out. He's hit the wall, he's done. He can't yeah. invest anymore. So, but if you plan well and you plan in advance, you can, hey, I'm gonna buy my first property, I'm gonna do something that's pretty simple, that makes sense, build, up, build a, a good asset base, reevaluate if I wanna be a landlord, and then we start moving into the second property. And make sure that we're always looking forward and understanding, okay, the long-term goal is to get that rent, that retirement income. Let's make sure that we're making decisions today that are gonna allow us to continue moving forward, right? Yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes, people get too focused on rate. Oh people, yeah, they never, they never think about mortgage product. They think it's just about pricing. It's people look right? at the um, uh, investment property financing as if they're getting a mortgage for their primary residence and their only concern is I just want the best rate, which is a completely realistic, you know, uh, oh, you know, you, requirement. But if it's if that super super low rate is sort of a no frill solution and it's going to limit your ability to maybe have some flexibility with a mortgage, make changes to it, maybe it's going to limit your ability to get financing down the road. Then you, you have to look at everything. You have to understand what's most important to me: is it cash flow, flexibility, or is it really just the rate? And then within that little environment, finding the best deal for you because choosing the best rate very often could come back to bite you. Well, there, there's so many mortgage products out there, right? You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of products. So by the time, if all you're doing is focusing on interest rate you and you don't look at, you know, what are your prepayment privileges? What are your portability privileges? What are your, your refinancing privileges? Yeah. You know, what are the options you have within that mortgage? You may find yourself in a situation where you've handcuffed yourself. You know, a lot of times people will just get, they want lowest interest rate. So they get into 25 year RAM. Well, now, yeah, you got a low interest rate, but you got a slightly inflated payment because of your principal. And when they go to buy their next investment property, all of a sudden that inflated payment can't be adjusted. Fixed. We have to discharge that mortgage, re-amortize it back penalties, to 30 years, legals. pay out penalties, yeah. deal with legals, so you can buy a property because 
your cash flow isn't in line because you so never that, did a DCR calculation. That $10 a month of interest savings costs you a few thousand dollars. Oh, we've, we've seen that. Plus. We've seen that thousands of that. That happens, lots of examples. that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, we have examples of, of a client who paid out $30,000 in penalties in order to be able to discharge his portfolio because of the bank he was with told him that they had no limitations. And when they hit the wall, unfortunately, nobody explained to him that he was constantly being approved on exceptions. And now he had to redo his whole entire portfolio. So $30,000 later, because you want to save himself 10 basis points. I mean, you, you know? get what you pay for in life. And it's the same thing with mortgages. If you're going to go after that super, super low rate only with no regard for all the other features, you have to see if those if that's going to affect your your long-term plan of buying more properties having some flexibility taking equity out whatever the case is so that's that's probably the number one tip is you know don't exclusively go after the rate understand the options that are available to you and, and make sure you're getting a product that is, is flexible and is going to meet your goals uh, what other advice like if i was well i would say you know a young professional i had a you know, purchased a home, a condo or a house or anything a few years ago, I've got a, some equity sitting in there and I want to buy my first rental property. What other advice would you give someone? Well, I'd, I'd say before you, you, you start actually moving money around, the very first thing you need to do is, is find a broker who's going to be an advisor to you, a broker who's experienced with dealing with investors and who has a good understanding and access to, to, the, to all the lender pool. Sit down with that broker and, and what the broker should be asking you is, what are your goals? What are your financial goals? Why are you trying to achieve this goal? You know, and what what is available to you today financially? So when they, once you have that goals conversation, you keep the long-term goals in mind and you see where you are financially today, you then have to, pl- pr- pr- um, you have to print a, a blueprint out for, paint a blueprint out confirming where you're going to go, how you're going to get there, what lenders are going to be available to you, what type of policies do you need to engage to move on? That's the very first part. Other than that, you know, if you have all this equity in your home, you should be looking at options. You know? Yeah, I mean, you, I think I think it's foolish to leave money sitting on the sidelines. You know, uh, if you're not planning to upgrade your primary residence tomorrow, then take an opportunity and maybe redeploy and reinvest. Yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. And do you know anybody who can uh, offer this sort of financing? <laughs> the selfish plug for Vine Group is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> remember, Mar- remember Mortgage Alliance? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, a lot of our team, because a lot of our guys are and and ladies are financial planning background, we have the skill set in order to be able to offer that service. I think I think if the person you're speaking with doesn't start off with what are your goals and what do you want to achieve, if that's not the how the conversation starts. You should probably walk away because if they're saying to you, I can get you the best trade, you haven't even had a conversation. No. That whole rate is irrelevant. Who cares what the rate is if I don't even know what your goals are and what you're looking to do? So that's how I think our whole team has approached it because we are former bankers. We've been doing financial planning and we are looking at this holistically and we're looking to develop a long-term relationship. So that, that's the value you're going to get. And I think the other thing is, so the second question, so the broker should be asking you about your goals and your objectives, identifying who that is breaking down to you where you are financially today, and then the broker should come back to you and give you a real plan with real with real specifics as to what lenders are gonna be the most opportune at what time and how we're gonna engage them. Look, the reality is, is we know that at a certain point, if you keep growing your portfolio, we need to refinance your portfolio because when we go from a traditional uh, TDS type lenders and we're moving to a strictly a DCR format, we know that you're not going to be able to refinance your existing portfolio. So let's make sure that we hit those, we know we identify those, those milestones, as I would call them, 
and, and, and do those things like refinancing your portfolio, making sure you increase your HELOCs. Those are the different things that, that where a lot of brokers are just going to be like, oh, don't worry, I'll just keep approving you until well, you can't get is people, approved anymore. You know, there's nothing wrong with working the banks. We actually love the banks as well. And they, they all have a specific Oh, the banks need. are flawed because they're singular. They don't have... Well, that's what I was going to get to is you walk into a bank and the person behind the counter is saying, yep, here's an approval, here's an approval, here's a rate, you know, everything is sweet. But there's no real long-term planning. They're just trying to make that one deal. And like you were saying, they could be just struggling behind the scenes to get an exception. They're escalating it just to make the math work. And then all of a sudden you go in to buy your second or third or fourth property. The bank hits you with a wall and they say, sorry, you've hit our cap. You know, we can't do anything. So there hasn't been any real planning whereas anybody who's working with multiple lenders like a broker they've got a high level view and they say they're looking at this as a chess game saying we're going to go to these lenders to start we know we're going to hit the wall right about here but that's cool because we're going to do a refinance or some sort of restructuring to improve your numbers so that we can continue to grow with these other lenders that are available to us so that's the real value is there's a lot more solutions out there and having some like someone like that on your team uh is, is going to make all the difference if your goal is to grow it beyond and another thing that's worth mentioning is too many people get caught up on the number of doors they own. Yeah, doors are irrelevant. It's I like I got 20 doors, I got 30, and they're almost like thumping their chest. Like this is an amazing Look, you know, I, It's all quality. Uh, that brings me to a point. We've seen clients with portfolios of like 100 doors. Which is great. I mean, you know, who who have come and gone and they're bankrupt now. Yeah, that's true. You know, they've completely failed and, and dissolved their portfolios because they were so leveraged. When the market t turned a little bit, they couldn't weather the storm for more than six months and they imploded. They and I've seen portfolios with 10 doors and five doors that are phenomenal, yeah. who have phenomenal net worth and are consistently growing. And these people are still in the market. They're still invested and they still have options. And they can weather these Forget little bumps the in the road. For sure. It's quantity over quality. Yeah. And we got to go quality over quantity. You can't, you can't be focused on, on quantity. It has to be quality assets. Because you know what? <clears throat> Hearing you know, a variety of people like Don Campbell once said at, once at a rain meeting, you know, everybody's a genius on an up market. <laughs> because when the market's on the rise, every single little property, doesn't matter how rotten or how horrible it is, is going to make you money because the vacancy rate is so low, people are going to pay top dollar. But when the market turns, all those properties are going to fail and the quality will stand strong. Yeah. So I always focus on quality over quantity. Because a lot of people get too caught up. What is your goal? I want to have X amount of properties, which kind of means no. if, if that's where you're focusing all your energy is on just growing numbers, then you're going to eliminate possible quality properties just for the sake of quantity, which you're right. That's why I always ask my clients, and a lot of times they will come up with those doors. You know, I want to have 10 properties or three properties, whatever the case is. And then I'll say, okay, well, what's your financial objective? What's your long-term objective? And they'll come up with a number and it could be that $100,000 seems to be a very common number of, of, of additional income. That's the benchmark. Yeah. So once you, once you identify that, then you can go back to them and say, okay, well, let's focus on achieving this goal and, and be less concerned about how many properties it takes to get there. You know, I've seen clients who've come to us and said, I want to buy five or 10 properties. And then you sit down with them and you do three deals and, they're, and they hit their financial objective. Yeah. They don't need to go any further because they've got three really good assets. So you It also know, makes financing easier for them. I mean, it might not be a bad idea to wait an extra year to no. accumulate enough funds to buy a little bit more of a stronger property to allow you to hit that uh, quality uh, you know, goal versus just buying anything that's out there and all of a sudden you hit, get hit with a down market like we had in Alberta and even here last year, and you, if you're not ready for it, you're, you're out. I mean, that's, that's always a little scary. Yeah, Alberta's a prime example, a market that has been very volatile, you know, and, and, and that's where we've seen a lot of people unfortunately fail. 
you've had really large portfolios and, and they've imploded. But we've seen a lot of people with some really good portfolios that are smaller, but very, very well thought out. They built equity, they re-amortize it so they can manage and control their payments. You know, so when the rents came down, these people were sitting strong and they're still sitting strong and their properties are the ones that are appreciating right now in the marketplace, unlike the other ones who bought garbage and they're just basically devaluating. You know, you know, you know we should talk about maybe bring them on the next segment is some multi or some commercial stuff. I think there's a really big opportunity on the commercial side. That's the evolution for a lot of these investors who are on the residential side who are hit the, the threshold, if you will, the They've wall. They've got too many properties. Financing is not really working out the way they want it to be, and there's a there's a, a nice little um, market right now for some commercial properties that could be picked up at uh, some pretty decent numbers. We should get a commercial director out here. Yeah, we'll bring Stephen. We'll see if uh, get Stephen out. Get some insight on what's happening. Next week we're in Vancouver, so uh, we'll see if we can. We're gonna do something else. It'll be two weeks from now. We'll do that. Two weeks from now, we'll get him out here. We'll, we'll continue we'll this conversation. Here. We'll do put a commercial spin on it and 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 then have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. Else, anyone add anything else? No, you know what? I think it's um, it's 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 a good time to reevaluate. You know, just before the end of the year, take a look at your portfolio, take a look at your assets, deter, take a, start having discussions with your partner if, if you're married and and um, or you're in a relationship, and talk about what your long term goals are, and think about real estate not as a short term transaction, but think about it as a twenty year long investment. Um, and when you look at it from that perspective, I think you could just say to some, anybody who's a bit dubious about real estate in general, say, do you own a property? Yes. How long have you had it? This much time. How much growth have you had it, you know, on your property during that time? Okay. That's pretty substantial. You've grown it from 500,000 to 800,000 in the last like five years, for instance. Um, you know, what if you could do that with real estate, with rental properties? Like, mm -hmm. Are you getting, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars every couple of years on your RSPs or your mutual funds? Very likely not. Uh, so, you know, what's, what's the problem? You know, why? Let's have a real conversation to see if this is a fit for you in terms of your risk tolerance and everything else. Cause I think the number one reservation that people might have is being a landlord. Yeah. And that could also be mitigated if you have a good team around you. A good team or maybe a turnkey property like, you know, condos. I know despite the fact that generally they're not going to cash flow at the 20% down level, like you were saying, uh, they're generally pretty turnkey. And I think for most people, you could potentially own a, some sort of a condo townhouse uh, property and find yourself very, you know, not, not I think do much. Look, I own, I own a bunch of them at the same time. And the key there I've, I found, because I had a relatively turnkey operation, is you have to have a really good real estate team who's going to deal with the tenant, yeah. who's going to do the follow-ups if there's any kind of maintenance requirements, and they're going to take full control of that. And a really good real estate team is, gonna, is key. It's key on that element. And you could be very hands-off, um, you know, with the condo. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of great assets there. But we'll definitely have that conversation about um, uh, commercial? commercial properties, you know, mixed yeah. use and uh, a large multi-unit. Multi-units, yeah. There's a great opportunity there for people to move into that market segment. And I believe that the shift has already started and we're already seeing the, 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 prices, the prices are rising, you know, the cap rates are dropping uh, in that asset class. So it's about getting ahead of the curve a little bit and the know. financing isn't as scary as some people might think it is no it's, it's not really as scary. not too bad no it's uh it's actually in fact it's a lot easier than residential financing. yeah sometimes it's, it's actually a lot easier when you come to me with 20 properties and you're telling me you're buying your first commercial that's actually a really that's a great deal easier conversation <laughs> than i'm buying another property in the middle of nowhere and uh hopefully it works out but uh thanks again guys for listening stay tuned for the next one and and uh have an amazing day